We're going to be diving into the letter of Exodus this week and next week. And we're going to be looking at this idea of the character of God. We began it last week in our, as we concluded the sermon series on Jeremiah. We began to talk about this text a little bit. This is a key text in the scriptures about who God is. And many times it is completely overlooked. And so I want to kind of do a deep dive uh, we, again last week, this week, and next week. And today I want to look at the idea that I don't know if you've ever thought about much, that God has a name. And just to clarify, it's not God. Uh, in the scriptures, it's often referred or said, pronounced Yahweh or Yahweh. Uh, you got to say it in Hebrew. Hebrew is a guttural language, so you got to put a little throat action into it. Uh, I, sometimes in my Greek classes in college, I would, I would try to do my Greek with a little Klingon, um, and, and it kind of get the idea, and it passed uh, that way a little bit. Uh, but often we just pronounce it as Yahweh. Um, Yahweh is represented in most of your Bibles with the uh, translation, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when you see the Lord, it literally is Yahweh. Now that might sound unimportant, just like a little semantics game, but I think it's really important. The fact that God has a name has the potential to radically alter the way you relate to God. Or I mean Yahweh. But let's do a little backstory before we dive into this text. In ancient writings, including the Bible, a name was way more than a label that you used to make a dinner reservation with or file your taxes with the IRS. Your name was your identity. A name is about your character. So if you think about the story of Abraham, originally he's just called Abram. And then God renames him from Abram to Abraham. And Abraham means exalted father. Uh, Abraham means father of many nations. Abram means exalted father. God changes his name. It's more than just a label. It's a new identity. And it's just not Abram or Abraham. If you think about his son Isaac, Isaac means laughter. When his mom, Sarah, heard that she was going to have a son in her old age, it was so preposterous that she started to laugh. So when Sarah finally gave birth to the miracle child, Abraham named him Laughter. Like, come here, little haha. <laughs> you think about his son, Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber. It's a euphemism for a liar and a cheat. And his biography, his life, is exactly that. One con after another. Until an odd story where he wrestles with God and says, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me. And so then God renames him from Jacob to Israel, which means he struggles, he wrestles with God. And from then on out, he's a changed man. Names were way more than labels to pick up your coffee at the end of the order line. Names were about your essential character. So when Moses is on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, verse 5, asking to see God's glory, Yahweh says, God says, Then the Lord, Yahweh, 
came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh the Lord. This is a historical moment in scriptures. God is saying that he will reveal his identity to Moses. And he'll let Moses in on his inner godness, the essential character of his being. Now, this moment just doesn't come out of nowhere. This is part of uh, the apex of, an, uh, of, of a story that has been going on from the very first page of the Bible. So let's take a few moments and kind of trace the story. In the first line of Genesis, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before there was time and space, before there was an Adam and an Eve, before iPhones and ice cream and Poplar, Wisconsin and pickleball, there was a God who was. But so far in the story, the creator of everything doesn't have a name. Do you ever notice that? Later in Genesis, the creator comes to Abram and he calls him to abandon his worship to the Mesopotamian gods and to go to a new land, pack up the U-Haul, head south on Highway 53, no clue where he's going to go. This is a gigantic leap of faith and Abram goes and he becomes Abraham. And Abraham's relationship with the Creator is stunning. It's so stunning that there are three of the major world religions trace their roots back to Abraham's encounter with God. But what's amazing, Abraham doesn't ever learn God's name. When God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1, he simply says, God says, I am God Almighty. In the original language, it's, I am El Shaddai. El was the Canaanite word for the king of the gods. And so the creator calls himself El Shaddai, which is a way of saying, I'm like El, but I am so much more. So much more. In other places, God calls himself God Most High or God Everlasting. All in language that would make sense to Abraham and his world. Usually, God just calls himself the God of Abraham. Which God? The God my dad worshipped. Now, all that changes when we get to Moses. And one of the most best-known stories in the Bible, the Creator calls to Moses out of a bush on fire in the blistering heat on the Sinai Peninsula. Moses was a Hebrew, one of the descendants of Abraham, and by this point in the story, the Hebrews are in a bad spot. They're in slavery in Egypt. Egypt is the global military superpower of the day, and so the Creator comes to Moses, and this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Basically, I'm your dad's 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 God. And then God and Moses get into a conversation. Think about that for a moment. They actually have a conversation. The first of many. And Moses wants to know what he should tell the Israelites when they ask him about this God. Apparently going back to them and saying, my dad's 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 God wants to set you free, just won't cut it. 
And so Moses asked God a question. It's fascinating. Think about this. Exodus 3.13. What is his name? Think about that. Literally, what is the meaning of your name? What is the significance of your name? God, what makes you, you? Moses isn't just asking for a label like Bob or Hank or Larry. He is asking the creator God, who are you? What are you like? Tell me about your character. And that's when the creator speaks his name for the first time ever. God starts with this in Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. Now, one of the ways we translate this in Hebrew is whatever I am, I will be. Meaning, whatever this God is like, he is that way consistently. He's unshifting. He's stable 24-7. So, for example, if God is compassionate, then he's compassionate all the time. If God is gracious, he is gracious all the time. If he is slow to anger, he is slow to anger all the time. Have you ever thought you knew somebody really well, trusted them deeply, thought they were a stand-up person, and then you get an email or a phone call and you discover that they are not what you thought they were? God is not like that. There is no facade. No, once you really get to know God, boy, he's different. He is true to his character. This is a God you can rely on. So God tells Moses to go back to Egypt and convey to the Hebrews the following. This is the next verse, verse 15. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is Yahweh, this is his name. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then notice the little poem. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, Yahweh is incredibly hard to translate into English for a number of reasons, but the main reason is that over time, the Hebrew stopped saying the name of God out loud. Not at first, but they started not using the name. One of the reasons is because one of the Ten Commandments is you shall not misuse or misrepresent the name of your God. And so over the years, they grew so scared of accidentally breaking this command, they stopped using his name. Now instead, they would call him other names. A popular name that they would use is simply Hashem, which means the name. If you read any biblical text now that's in Hebrew, it'll simply always say Hashem. And if you're not familiar with it, you're always like, who's Hashem and why are they talking about Hashem? It simply means the name. It's a replacement for God's personal name. The most common title was Adonai, a Hebrew word meaning Lord, like in a slave to a master. Uh, this is also where we get the name Jehovah. Anybody remember that, that name for God, Jehovah? It was really big in the 80s. Everybody was using it. But because of the Jewish switch to Adonai, usually Yahweh is translated into English as the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. 
And this is how the vast majority of translations write out God's name. And so it's what most followers of Jesus call God, Lord. We hear it in our prayers and songs, teachings, books. It's very pervasive. Now, in my opinion, I'm going to put this down. You can decide if you want to pick it up. My opinion, it is a dangerous move that can make us to miss out on a key facet of how we relate to God if we use the wrong name. Now, why? Because the Lord isn't a name. It's a title. Like the doctor, the judge, the president. Calling Yahweh the Lord is like me calling Heather the wife. That's weird. Why? Because I am in a relationship with her, and that's not the language of intimacy. What you call somebody says a lot about your relationship. To my wife, I'm James. But to the receptionist at the dentist's office, I'm Mr. Walsh. To my kids, I'm dad. But to the server at Dairy Queen, I'm sir. I am also son, brother, friend, dude, hey you, pastor, reverend, PJ, and to one person, Jimmy. Each of these names says something about the kind of relationship I have with another person. In the same way, God wants to be called by his name. Remember that line of poetry in verse 15, the very end? This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And I would argue that we need to get back to calling God by his name. Because I think that shift from calling God Yahweh to using the title the Lord says something about us. For all our talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, there is a part of us that is scared to be in a relationship with God. Jesus takes this even a Another step. He taught us to call God Father, one of the most intimate relational names there is. A.W. Tozer eloquently said, God waits to be wanted. God is aching for a relationship with you. So if we go back to Moses' question, what is the meaning of your name? So in Exodus 34, verse 6, Yahweh says to Moses, God proclaimed his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, showing mercy to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now, we mentioned this last week. Anytime an ancient Near Eastern writer repeats something, He wants you to pay attention to something. If he wants you to remember something, he will repeat it. If he wants you to remember something, he will repeat it. If he wants you to remember something, he will repeat it. God says, let me give you my name, Yahweh. 
Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, the one who is slow to anger, bounding in love and faithfulness, showing mercy to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This moment on Mount Sinai where we learn God's name is the moment in the Bible. The rest of what we call the Old Testament is just story after story of this God, Yahweh, in action. The narrative of the Bible leads to a dramatic climax, which is the coming of Jesus Christ. And in his biography of Jesus, the New Testament writer John makes a profound statement. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it's hard to see in the English translation, but this language is right out of Exodus 34. For example, the phrase, made His dwelling among us, is literally pitched His tabernacle among us. That's a reference to the tabernacle that Israel put up at the base of Mount Sinai. The glory there is the reference to the cloud on top of Mount Sinai. And grace and truth is actually an odd reading of the Hebrew phrase translated love and faithfulness. We talked about that last week. Usually people read grace and truth and talk about how Jesus was the perfect balance of niceness and backbone to say whatever needs to be said, that's true, but it's not remotely the point John is making. John is ripping all of this language out of Exodus, tabernacle, glory, love, and faithfulness as a way of retelling the Sinai story, but making it all about Jesus. He's making the point that in Jesus, we see the Creator God, His presence and beauty like never before. In Jesus, Yahweh becomes a human being. Later in John, John 17, verse 6, we get to eavesdrop on Jesus' prayer. And Jesus says, I have revealed your name to those you gave me. Literally, I have made your name known. Remember, God's name is a stand-in for his character. Jesus is saying, I have revealed you to your people. Eugene Peterson translates the verse this way, I have spelled out your character in detail. I love that. One day, there's a little kid drawing a picture. His mom says, what are you drawing? And the little kid says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she says, nobody knows what God looks like. And the kid says, well, they will when I'm done. (laughs) In Jesus, we get a crystal clear glimpse that this is what God is like. And the early Christians were quick to pick up on this claim that Jesus is the embodiment of God. And in order to become a Christian... In the very first early years of the church, there was a statement, a slogan, a creed that you had to say in order to be baptized. And it's from Romans 10, 9. Jesus is Lord. You had to say that and declare it to become a member of the church. And people would die over those three little words. Literally, Christians were burned alive 
thrown into the mouths of wild beasts in the arena. Why? Well, Lord, in Greek, is Kyrios. And for one, that is the title for Caesar. Which made the claim that Jesus is Caesar is tantamount to treason. They don't like that. But more importantly, for Jews, this was the Greek word that was used to translate Yahweh. So to say that Jesus is Lord for the very first followers of Jesus Christ, most of all of whom were Jewish, they were saying Jesus was Yahweh, God in flesh and blood. The very first Christians were adamant that Jesus is the bedrock for everything we believe to be true about God. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. Jesus is the long-awaited human coming of Yahweh, the God on top of Sinai. Are you still with me? So what does all this mean? Well, first, let's take a step back and talk about some of the implications of this. For starters, this means that God is a person. By person, I don't mean that he's male or female or human. By person, I mean he's a relational being who wants to relate. God is not an impersonal energy force. God is not a chapter in a systematics theology textbook. God is not just a world religion. He is a relational being who wants to relate with each and every one of us. To people like you and me, he wants to know and be known. But knowing God isn't just knowing a bunch of facts about God. He is a person that wants to be in a relationship with you. We hear the cliche of a personal relationship with Jesus a lot in the church, but honestly, I don't think we have any clue of just how explosive that idea is. Remember how Moses and God had conversations together? Later in the story, in Exodus 33, verse 11, we read that God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. People ask me, God has friends? Yep. And Moses and God relate to each other like friends. But often we just, we read through these stories about Moses and David, Jesus and Paul, and we think, that's for them, it's not for me. As if the point of the Bible is to tell you how other people relate to God, but not you. But Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the grave to make the kind of relationship Moses had with Yahweh available to everybody. Right before his death, Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, verse 6, I have made your name known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is Jesus' agenda for his followers, that you and I join Moses and the characters of the Bible in having a relationship with the creator God, Yahweh. Now think about how this will rewire how you pray. A lot of people feel guilty because they don't enjoy prayer. Some people dread it. 
Others just push through it because they know it's the right thing to do. But to be honest, I think a lot of people just avoid it. That's because most of, most of us don't actually pray. Prayer is what Moses did with God in the tent. Prayer is what Jesus did with the Father in Gethsemane. It's brutally honest and vulnerable. It's when you talk to God with the edit button in the off position and you feel safe and heard and loved. It's the kind of relational exchange that you just can't get enough of. And from the beginning of human history, God, the creator of everything, has been looking for friends. A free, intelligent, creative partners to collaborate with him. That's prayer. And if this takes on prayer makes you nervous, if right now you're thinking, who am I to come to God that way? Remember that when you come to God, you come in Jesus' name. I assume you're all familiar with that cliche, in Jesus' name. For the record, that was never supposed to be the tagline we drop at the end of a prayer to hang up the phone on God. To pray in Jesus' name means two things. It means we pray in line with his character. To pray for that kind of stuff he wants to see happen in the world. If you pray for a new Range Rover or a dream vacation to Hawaii, you may get it, but the odds are God will probably let you down. But if you pray for healing, for justice, the courage to stand up for your faith. The kind of stuff Jesus is all about. Then keep your eyes open. God will work. But secondly and more importantly, to pray in Jesus' name means that whenever we pray, we have the same access to God like Jesus does. So for those of you thinking, I can't interact with God in this kind of back and forth way, like a friend, like a co-worker helping God build out his world. You know, James, I am no Moses. I am certainly no Jesus. Well, that makes two of us. But if you're a follower of Jesus, when you come before God, you come in Jesus' name. You invoke his status with God. You come... Not as a beggar off the street, you come as a royal daughter and son of the Father. And what you find waiting for you is Yahweh, the person who wants to relate to you. And you don't have to climb a mountain. All you have to do is pray. So let's pray. Would you stand with me? We'll be dismissed as we do this. Our Father God, Yahweh, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for creating us to be known and to know you personally, relationally. God, help us to seek you with boldness. Help us to invite you into our day. Lead us 
Instruct us, teach us, give us strength to stand for the things that you love most. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Not as a great spirit, not as a distant force, but Yahweh, the one who is with us, who wants to go with us. God, as we leave here today, may we go with you. We invite you into our day, into our week, everything that we have going on. Be with us. Have fun with us as we seek to have fun with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can go in peace.